are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. He is on the road right now. He's been traveling. He's been traveling back from where he was, and it's uh, it's been a been a bit of a bumpy ride. I wish he was here, but uh, it's all good. He's going to be safe. He'll be back next week for next week's show. But regardless, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. You dig into movies via most spoiler for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 434. 434, a numerical palindrome, which would have excited A, but he's not here, unfortunately. But for this episode, we're going to be talking Small Axe, the anthology series of films directed by Steve McQueen. I'm, I'm very excited to get into this. Uh, we have a lot of things to cover, because there are five separate films to go over within this one giant film. Um, the films are now available on Amazon Prime, by the way, so anyone that hasn't seen this series already, you could very easily do so just by watching on Amazon Prime. Uh, joining us to t- discuss Small Axe this morning, we have, from Movies Marcus, back from a stroll to the mangrove, it's Marcus Robinson. Yes, I'm back. <laughs> uh, also joining us, from Cal State Fullerton, he helps kids be anything but educationally subnormal, is Professor Mike Dillon. Aaron, Marcus, Happy New Year, brethren. Happy yes, New yes. Year. Happy New Year. I want to say two things. Yeah. First, I'm so delighted to be here with you to usher in the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, uh, may I say, I've, I've been saying this on your podcast all through 2020, so please indulge me once more uh, when I say just big thank you to our healthcare workers. Yes, definitely. Um, I live in L.A. County, which is looking <clears throat> really bleak right now, and so we're, we're all hoping this nightmare ends soon. That is all. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yes, a big thank you out there for everyone that's you know doing their part to help in all of this. Uh, but yeah, happy New Year as well, and happy New Year to all the listeners. Um, it we we are here. We've arrived. It's our first recording in 2021, and um, yeah, we're gonna go over man. We're gonna go over sorry mangrove. We're gonna go over all of these. We're gonna go over the whole small X anthology. But some show notes first. Um, first up, just wanted to point this out. You know, we we have our uh, our theme song for the for out now, which you know sometimes we use score from films, sometimes we mix it up a little bit. For the most part, though, uh, one of the samples uh, from our theme music that we generally use for the show is an MF Doom track, um, Old School Rules, and we learned recently that MF Doom, a very talented hip hop artist, uh, passed away due to COVID complications, actually, mm-hmm. uh, which was unfortunate to hear. Uh, you know, there's yeah. There's been a lot of tragedy uh, over the past year, let alone every year. But uh, I just wanted to point that out because, uh, you know, we <laughs> it, it is the music we use pretty much on a weekly basis. And it's like MF Doom passed away. And I'm, I'm a huge – I was a huge fan of MF Doom. I know, Marcus, you, you, you shared some yeah. fan as well. Um, yeah. I, 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 I text you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was uh, – yeah, just, uh, just some unfortunate news to hear. Um, mm-hmm. you know, thoughts and prayers to the families. Of course, and I mean that goes out to everybody that suffered tragedy in their life. But it's just another addition to the list of many people that have been taken by this horrible pandemic. Um, but moving on uh, from there, we will let's uh, talk about some things that are coming up for the show. Obviously, we're talking about small acts this week. Next week, we're we'll doing our top ten films of the year, uh, which is always one of the highlights of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. We'll have you know, some regular guests on as long, along with, uh, you know, many uh, special guests popping in with their with rec- separate recordings or what have you, just so we can get a, a good all-encompassing look at uh, the various guests of the show's favorite films of the year. Uh, what else? January, we got, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movies coming out. Um, 
here and there. We got some, some bigger highlights. Uh, we might finally be able to do an episode covering Tenet because Abe will have finally been able to see it. Um, so uh, just stay tuned. Uh, a lot of stuff coming down the pike in that way. Uh, what else? Commentary tracks, of course. Uh, this month is the beginning of our Hannibal Marathon. We're going to be talking about every Hannibal film, um, all five of them, <laughs> that have come out over the years. So we're going to be talking Michael Mann's Manhunter uh, this month for our commentary track. So stay tuned, because that's going to be the start of something very special, um, as all our commentary tracks are. Uh, speaking of which, you can find those tracks and more on iTunes, where our show, Out Now Theron and Abe, is located, along with all of the episodes of that show. Uh, you can log in iTunes, search right now for an Abe, give us a star rating and review. That'd be great. Thank you in advance. And I think that's it for show notes here. So, well, before we before we get into underway, uh, talking about five different films, let's go over the other segment we do here. What we would have talked about this week were things to have not changed whatsoever. This is where we go over the various fil- the one of the films that would have come out uh, this week uh, if uh, in this post bloodshed era things were a lot different and things didn't get moved around. Uh, this technically would have come out on Christmas Day, but I feel like it's one of the movies that also would have expanded to like wide release around now. It is Respect, the Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin film uh, that also stars Forrest Whitaker, Marlon Wayans, Audra McDonald, Mark Maron, and Mary J. Blige. I assume we've seen something of this. I think they had like a teaser like mm-hmm. a year ago or whatnot, um, mm-hmm. let alone more. But uh, Marcus, were, were you, are you excited for Respect? Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I... I mean, anything that has <clears throat> Jennifer Hudson attached to it, I, I'm I'm kind of on board with. Um, I don't see how it could be bad. Um, I don't know if pushing pushing it says anything about how good it is or how bad it is at this point. But um, when is it supposed to come out next? This coming August. Uh, this coming August. Okay, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm still very excited about it. Mike, how are you excited for an Aretha Franklin film? Yeah, I mean, as much as the next guy. That that I do remember seeing that teaser. It feels like a really long time ago. Yeah, that came out. Like I, I think mean, I, I, do... I think it might have been like Christmas last year. If I'm actually I'm trying to think about it, yeah, it was like a long so, time ago. So I, it makes me wonder whether or not the delay has more to do with with than just COVID, but. I mean, like, so Marcus Aaron dragged me kicking and screaming to do a Cats episode just to get a Jennifer oh. Hudson fix. And so, I mean, yeah. I, was, I was really, uh, I objected to having to do that quite a bit. But um, Yeah, that's you know. how it happened. How come when I that's say exactly I, like, I, I, I like somebody, they pick out the worst possible movie? <laughs> like, the worst possible movie they were in was brought up? I don't <laughs> I'm talking Dream Girls. <laughs> you're saying you don't you think of the academy award-winning performance first and not cats yes of course <laughs> <laughs> yes i hated cats yes i am with everybody uh, i'm i'm uh, i'm being sarcastic because i genuinely loved cats and <laughs> did I, you really i i had such a good no, time you didn't. it was on your top well, 10 i recall it was it was Stop uh yeah it. top 10 i mean for all the all the wrong reasons obviously but uh Oh, the memories. That that thing that that movie gave me nightmares. No, I mean, listen, I didn't think Cats was good. Was that not its I intention did, to but... give nightmares? I thought it was. It's not a horror. <laughs> oh yeah. I yes. didn't think it was good, but it was like legitimately amazing. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Now, well, well, listen, I'm I'm more than happy to talk about Cats instead of Small Axe if you guys are done. <laughs> no. Oh, 
<laughs> we're not how playing. Do I, uh, how do I log off of Skype? We're not playing your silly games here, Mike. We're going to talk about small axes. Oh now. my god. Okay. <laughs> uh, as far as my thoughts on, I mean, it's an Aretha Franklin biopic. I just hope it's not a Wikipedia movie. I hope they do something interesting with it. So we'll see what happens. Um, but the film does open. <laughs> August 13th. What's the what's a Wikipedia movie? Where there's less thought on exploring the subject in some way that's interesting cinematically and more just a, here's what happened when they were born, when they grew up, when they got successful, when they found less success, and when they got successful again. That's the the arc of most of these kinds of biopics. So I uh, I just, I, I want there to be something interesting being done with this and uh, hope for the best in that regard. Uh, but the film does open August 13th. Which is similar to, like, like uh, Get On Up was an August release. I remember that. Uh, was, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens in that regard. But, yeah, we'll uh, see what happens. All right. That's going to take us to our main review for Small Axe. These are new types of human beings. They are not demoralized or defeated persons. They are leaders, but are rooted deep among those they lead. We mustn't be victims, but protagonists of our stories. Don't you think it's time things were different? As individuals, we have an impossible battle. As a collective, we stand a chance. If you are a big tree, we are the small X, sharpen to cut you down. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Small X. Writer-director Steve McQueen began developing this series of films in the early 2010s, eventually deciding to make an anthology of distinct films out of these stories. Each film tells a distinct story about the lives of the West Indian immigrant community in London during the 1960s and 70s. Mangrove is the longest entry, focusing on a protest movement and a historic trial. Lover's Rock revolves around an all-night apartment party. Red, White, and Blue spotlights a police officer who attempts to reform the police from within. Alex Weedle is a look at an early life of a black British novelist. And Education focuses on the push by London councils to place black children in special schools and the work done to fight back against this. We have so we have five films to talk about, and we're gonna go, basically kind of go through them individually. But that's not gonna stop us from cross-referencing with the other films because that's just the nature of this series as a whole. And by the end of this, I think we'll have a little, you know, some more to say about the, you know, the work being done as a whole that Steve McQueen has done. With that said, though, let's let's start with Mangrove. So this is a film that's set in, I think it starts in 1969, if I'm not mistaken. And it focuses on this bar that's owned by Frank Critchlow, played by Sean Parks. And it's routinely <laughs> inspected, as a word, uh, <laughs> barged in by by the police. Uh, there's police that are constantly in this area of Notting Hill in London. Raided, yeah. Yeah, raided. Thank you. That's a better word. Um, the, basically, the you know the black people of this community are constantly being hounded by the police, which eventually leads to a protest, which then leads to a trial. Uh, what, determining whether or not the protest was, in fact, a riot and other kinds of the kinds of charges you expect when it comes to black people trying to express their you know free will. <laughs> so, with, with with that in mind, I just want to get into this discussion. Um, Marcus, where, where this is you know the first of five films. Did you, I'll ask you this question? Did you watch these in order? Did you watch these in like the order it's displayed on Amazon? Yeah, I. I... 
I when watching streaming stuff, I I do the least, and I let uh, the streaming do the work for me. Okay. So yes, from, from, from I didn't stop. So when so they you, had that little countdown, I didn't even touch my remote. Fair it enough. Starts. So you, so you watched Man Grow first. What what did you think of of this kind of opening chapter? Um. Okay. So so to start off with, um, I I, I really enjoyed it. I you know I think the consensus is going to be we really enjoyed every one of these these movies and it would be kind of eh for me to go oh i really enjoyed this one in particular but this one i believe was a great starting starting spot first to really uh uh, uh showcase this courtroom scene i had just seen uh the chicago seven and i think we'll probably talk about that a little bit um maybe two weeks prior to that and this in conjunction with that or juxtaposed to that it was night and day a lot of people were talking about chicago 7 as far as this the courtroom the courtroom movie of 2020 and this is just how you do it um i know we're going to talk about the courtroom stuff and how good the courtroom stuff is but i really wanted to say why this movie resonated with me personally mm-hmm. um I think that to me, this was more about a movie about how one person willingly or unwillingly can be this catalyst to spark this movement. This, these movements that were kind of, you know, bubbling under the surface, this one guy, and he didn't really want to be a part of it. And we go through history about these, these, these people that either wanted to be a part of it or really didn't, were just kind of swept away with it um and how they sparked this this kind of break in this this break in the chain or this 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 movement towards progress um in 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 and i it really resonated with me because of you know the blm movement has been really really a big thing in 2020 and with george floyd and it reminded me of that and and we'll talk about the the I'll leave you guys to talk about the, the trial stuff and all that stuff and why it's so brilliantly filmed and none of these are poorly filmed. But that's what I wanted to say about this. This is why I, I really wanted to focus on that this was that type of movie for me. For sure. Mike, how about you? Where, where are you with Mangrove? I liked it a lot. Um, you know, I mean, maybe we should clarify that the, the courtroom, I mean, this is the one of the five films that I think Hughes closest to like a genre film. Sure. I mean, maybe this yeah. and the the John Boyega one, but yeah, the it's the second half where where the the courtroom where it becomes a full on courtroom drama, and that stuff is really compelling. And uh, you know, you mentioned Chicago Seven. I'm I, it would be a shame because I wonder that this being the the sort of the most feature film mm-hmm. uh, looking one in terms of its length and in terms of its content. Uh, I do wonder whether or not of the five, Mangrove has the most awards potential come come award season we're in a tricky and, we're just to touch on that real quick because i don't i i honestly i just don't want to get too far into awards talk because of the varying thoughts on tv versus movie i just i don't that oh, yeah, does not sure. concern me too much just but just to touch on this real quick i know it is currently being submitted for emmys that is what Stephen right. queen has desired Jeez. for it mm-hmm. um with that in mind i know there also have been talks about possibly changing up some of the submission ideas for small acts um and there obviously there have been critics groups that have you know 
designated it certain ways because it is in this tricky zone as far as what's what they want to what they want to consider it how they want to consider it as a whole versus you know parts of it or what have you but yeah for the time being it is currently being submitted for emmys um that's yeah. kind of where it is yeah i mean that that's a that's a separate but still very big conversation right which is that owing to the pandemic and how it's compelled us all to change our viewing habits this year this really feels like a year that's where uh, where we've really upended the distinctions between film and tv right like lover's rock is like 60 something minutes long and there's mm-hmm. really no argument against it being classified as a tv episode even though it's getting a lot of prestige um on sort of film top 10 lists and you know wh- whether we care about that is maybe we, we can talk about it but but in terms of um mangrove i mean i if it if it does kind of what get uh put up against um in competition with chicago seven i'd be concerned that it would get subsumed under chicago seven because it's just a flashier film it's a sorkin film and all that but uh, i did wonder uh, like aaron you're usually the one who does this kind of research was the trial based the the trial sequences did they rely on transcripts or anything like that because i'd be curious to know how closely it relied on actual evidence and argumentation presented at the actual trial. It's a mix. Um, it, it's a mix of things as far as the way certain testimonies are presented or what have you. But a lot of things the judge says are very much on point as yeah. far as his reaction, which I find to be interesting based off both the contempt he seems to have for the defendants versus his actual, his eventual ruling and how he... There, there's a chain... I mean, compared to... And again, I mean, this is based off transcripts, too, but compared to Frank Langella, who has no real arc beyond he's just a dick that becomes more of a dick in that movie. I mean, yeah. the 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 judge in in Mangrove, there does, I mean, while there's certain maybe not distinctly prejudices, but there's certainly a kind of a an old school way of thinking, he does seem to have a kind of uh, somewhat of an arc by comparison. And I, and I do know that the things he's saying are based off like actual transcripts and yeah, yeah as i said like the the rest of it it's a mix of things it's a mix of you know yeah the yeah, the, the impression i got was that that judge or a barrister where i don't know what you'd call it yeah, um over enough. there but yeah the uh you know he he ultimately i mean he's probably got his own prejudices but ultimately he does have to side with logic. the law <laughs> logic, and logic and the law yeah um Chicago Seven. There's a strong suggestion that the Frank Langella character is also like senile or, or suffering dementia or something like that, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, but also in terms of like trial transcripts, from what I've read and understand, Trial of Chicago Seven is apparently just nonsense. You know, just complete uh, Sorkin courtroom justice fan fiction. It but, picks and chooses pretty yeah, heavily. So, um. Since, since since Marcus mentioned like you know his own personal reaction, I wanted to add, uh, and I, I echo what. Marcus said about you know all five films are really given uh, a great sense of urgency and relevance by um, Black Lives Matter and all that that happened, all that that's happened this year. But let's also not forget it's also the Small Axe series is also very much about cherishing and protecting the dignity of immigrants mm-hmm. uh, as well. And one thing um, that I was thinking about throughout throughout the series, but particularly with Mangrove, is that one film that I uh, really loved recently is uh, One Night in Miami, Regina King's film. Uh, have you guys had a chance to see that? I uh, I'd be, I did not. I have. I've seen it twice <laughs> now, and I'd actually wow. say I watched it a second time, and I liked it even more than the first, where the first uh, time I was like, oh, yeah. this is pretty good. Second time I was like, this really won me over. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, it just it's, got me more. It's, it's really great, and um, the central conceit of that 
story, the play and the film, is that you have these major figures of the civil rights movement who all obviously want the same thing, but have really aggressive disagreements over how to attain those ends and sure. how best to how best to um, to mobilize their resources and their celebrity and their influence in order to attain that. And the point being that um, the movement and black identity is in general is far from monolithic. And you do get glimpses of this in Mangrove in the discussions over whether to file a plea and how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. Maybe this is more explicit in some of the other films like uh, the John Boyega one or even even I think in Lover's Rock. But like Mangrove is ultimately kind of a triumphant story at the end. But I think this really critical thematic inclusion is is important here because it you know, points to the fact that the history of civil rights is very much a story comprised of these fractures and disagreements and schisms, and it always has been. Agreed. Well put. I uh, just to get my thoughts yeah. in before we kind of go a little deeper into it. I I was excited to watch Small Axe because I really like Stephen McQueen's films and whatnot. So I was like, he made five movies. Like, yes, I want to do this. So jumping into Mangrove, I was so like taken aback by like it's not that like. I was surprised how, you know, how good it was or what have you. But as far as the way it conveyed the sense of like urgency and weight, as far as what this, you know, especially when it gets to the trial, what that means to the people involved, I was so like enraptured in like what was taking place. Like you have a whole hour to set up like why things are happening the way they are. And it's, it's frustrating. It's, it induces rage. <laughs> it's really, and like in the midst of that, you're also like enjoying seeing this West Indian culture, like seeing like what this is, like what these, you know, when they're not being hounded by police, what's the joy in their life? Because you get you get glimpses of that, and that's emphasized more, I guess, in, in Lovers Rock next, even though it's you know set in a different time. But as we kind of get this sense of what the way things are, and then we build into this trial, I just it, it's the best courtroom drama I've seen in ages. Like it, it's like as as snappy as Chicago Seven is, as far as like oh that's fun or what have you. Like that movie's clear it has clear flaws that I could not get past. Where this is like now this is how you do a courtroom. Like it has so many things going on as far as the the direction. Honestly, like the shot choices you're making, what everything you're doing to convey that same weight that you learned about in the first half that you were able to get. Now you're getting it through a, a new kind of prism here. And you have these varying perspectives that are showing you what they're trying to go for, what kind of injustices are there. It's there's a lot. And so <laughs> you get to, by the end of this, you are saying, yeah, there is a sense of triumph, but it just, it feels so earned in a way where there's a lot of movies that even ones that I really like where things happen and they're supposed to, you know, give you a sense of resolution but it's rare that i felt that the sense of like that it earned it as much as a movie like this did so like that just really impressed me um at the same time just some great performances here too uh, i mean you, sean parks is like the default lead i suppose as frank critchley since he owns the mangrove or yeah. what have you and i i love that you get like you get especially during the courtroom scene you have like three different perspectives you have you have critchlow who's like rage like it's just so much anger in him as far as all the stuff he's had to deal with through over years and he's like uh, now he's in court like having to deal with that once again and it's not it's not even like it's going to necessarily stop when he gets out of court you have Letitia Wright who's all about righteousness as this Black Panther character and then you have Malachi Kirby who I think is my favorite performance here as Darkest Howe who he has like this level of reserve uh, that he puts on display as he gets a chance to represent himself uh, and just seeing like 
seeing logic prevail in a film like this was just very satisfying which again i think comes from the fact that you have a whole a whole mess of time to really get understanding of where everyone is in all of this which is and not to i'm not trying to compare it too much to chicago 7 i know it's inevitable just because of the closeness of release dates and the subject matter as far as far as following you have the chicago 7 and the mangrove 9 i mean it <laughs> that's a film that you know that film is like what if we cross edited and moved around things and get to the protest eventually and it's like i guess that's a way to do it but that there, there's nothing there from a weighty standpoint where this is like i felt everything and so that's really why i really like this film so much it, you just get such a great sense of everything that depends on you know what's going on is clear to me and uh, so yeah i just this this movie immediately won me over and made me very excited to watch the rest of these movies. Yeah, for sure. I I I, I want to point something out about the why this is just fantastic storyline, especially when it gets to that courtroom sequence, um, or, or the second half, I guess. Um, it's just mounting and mounting and mounting and mounting, and we're waiting for that verdict, and that's what I want out of a out of a, 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 a out of a any courtroom movie. I want something that is, it's it's weighted in historical fact which, which i took more i didn't do any research um on either of those movies before or, or after I, I i knew about the chicago seven but i didn't do any research about this one but everything i saw on screen i believed it and i think that goes to the direction and how it's structured and how realistic and how kind of tangible and just personal everything felt in, in that courtroom and also, I think one one of the ways, uh, Marcus, I didn't interrupt you, did I? No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the one of the ways by which you can measure the quality of this thing is by sort of imagining how it could have gone wrong. And what I mean specifically oh, yeah. is like one thing that you know is really crucial to the storyline is the the defendants, the characters who decide to represent themselves mm -hmm. and act as their own counsel, which of course makes for some really spectacular. Um, sort of cross-examination scenes, which you always love seeing in a good courtroom drama. Yeah. But it's it's not only sort of symbolically important because it's about them sort of claiming their own voice and the power of their own um, representation, which is in entirely what what's at stake here. Yeah. But like there there is um, at least one character, their their counsel, this white guy, who's presented. He's he's you know very sympathetically presented. He's a compelling character, but he he's in the back seat at some point right and there there are some really legitimate questions about the legal efficacy um and the legal strategy of having these sort of non-trained um non-lawyers represent themselves is that is that the right way to go but what i mean by imagining the lesser film which is which is to say that i could completely see like a hollywoodized version of this in which the white character is the main character yeah you know what i mean the white savior and so the fact that they just are able to incorporate the important role that characters like that must have had and the importance of pointing out that, you know, there, there were allies of that nature, people who were part of the establishment who nonetheless wanted to do right by the, by, by the defendants and all that, but nonetheless to make it clear, this is not their story. And that's, right. that's kind of a, that's a very, that's, that's a, to the, to the film's credit. Very it's, much. it's a proof of concept as far as how you, there's ways to make films that stray from this kind of adopted sense of how you can, you can tell a story using other characters as a guide for the audience where you're, you're referring to Jack Loden's character as the kind of the, what the barrister, <laughs> the, the, the lawyer, 
the representation they have for the defendants who's you know basically the white character yes there is certainly a different movie where you know you start with him watching this stuff on the news like i gotta get involved and you follow him along or whatnot and it's like no this is this is the difference when you have you know uh, people that know how to tell this story and want to tell it a way that really hits you and you know makes you care about this without having to rely on this kind of guiding audience force and that's you know something that Steve McQueen very much knows how to do. Uh, and it, it, yeah, I, I do think there's a and that's you know that's that, that's without even like minimizing him as a character. Like he's an important character in this film. He does he does, he has his role. But yes, you're exactly right as far as the the show-stopping scenes aren't because he gives some kind of passionate defense for the black man. It's, it's just like he just happens to be there and he's involved when he needs to be. Um, it's, it's, a great, it's a great sense of balance in that regard as far as how you use your cast wisely and not have to play, you know, uh, condescend to the audience as far as how you get them, how you get the audience on your side for the film. It's like you don't need another character like that to, you know, talk around things. What about the, um, could you remind me the name of the villain, the, the, the PC police constable? Pulley. PC pulley. Yeah. PC pulley. Every That's like, it's not. I, I, I. The accents are so fun to like listen to yeah. in this movie. Like, it's not you know that's not to like talk down to the. It's just like that's that's the accents they have. It's so, like, but like hearing certain things like PC pulley uh, being repeated over and over again with disdain um, is just a lot of fun. But yes, did well, PC... well, I mean, <laughs> I'm presuming like we all saw this on Prime, right? So d- did you activate subtitles because I found it very helpful. To just have the closed captioning on. Did you guys have that? I well? don't. Um, I, I, I I don't I don't discount the, uh, the the issues some people might have with this. It's just not a uh, thing with me. Like I don't seem to have a problem when it comes to heavy accents, but that's me. Do you <laughs> usually put subtitles on? If I, you're watching I, something? I absolutely don't. But in this case, I found it really useful because I was keeping up a certain slang. Um, and I, I certainly, in this instance, I feel like I uh, got more out of it because I was reading along. And, That's fair. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and and if Marcus was doing the same, I just I wonder whether or not it's worth mentioning that if we're going by the closed captioning, the mm-hmm. biggest recurring character in the entire series is brackets sucks teeth. <laughs> it comes up so much and it frankly makes me impressed that amazon or maybe this was you know mandated by uh, steve mcqueen but it's very clear that the people over at amazon who did the closed captioning were knowledgeable yeah. about these little cultural tics and 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 gestures that that are Absolutely. apparently very prevalent in the community because if i was sort of just if i had been doing it even if i was able to clearly decipher all the the slang that's not something I would have taken time to note in the closed captioning. It just I was kind of impressed by the the attentiveness to detail. But I, uh, I, real quick, I, there. I, I think something you're speaking to though is the I mean, what something that I really like about the film is the sense of authenticity, which you pointed out, Mark. It's the kind of it's less about and that's not to say like I misunderstood or didn't quite hear some of the things being said as far as the kind of thick accents and slang or what have you. But as far as there's a lot of great like work done to capture you know body uh, emotion body 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 language but thank you body language um as, as far as like how you're talking about certain people where you know where they let their guard down versus where it's suddenly up or how they're trying to present things there's one character who's on the stand not one of the main characters but another one that just just really just dis- really dislikes uh, pc pulley and everything he says about this man this horrible police officer um it's less about me understanding exactly every word he says, though I did, and more about just like the the way he just 
contorts his body to really indicate what kind of a terrible bully this man has been. Uh, It's just clear to me. And I feel like that's that's made possible by having, you know, an actor properly being directed as to how to react when you hear this name, along with just like how it's framed in one night to to show you like what you're supposed to know about this based off these people's perspective. I I totally I'm I'm totally with you guys. I I watch subtitles. They're on my TV all the time. I don't know why. This is how it's been since I was a kid. So I don't know if 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 I'm like reacting to the subtitles or what. But we'll get more into it when we get to like a movie like Alex Weedle where it's just a it's almost like a different just a completely different dialect. Uh-huh. Um, it was just a a more thick uh version of what I was hearing. But um, that one I. Re- Really leaned on subtitles a lot more than this one but I, yeah you're right I, I, I don't there was there's scenes in that one where they're having a conversation uh, uh around like a table or something and i don't even have to know what what everybody is saying specifically down to the to the to the to the point i i'm looking at mannerisms and i'm looking at body position and i'm looking at you know at, at mcqueen does such a good job at positioning people and going you know this is this is the shoulder that they do and this is the walk that they do and this is when somebody's upset and this is what so i'm with you guys uh 100 on that uh, um so one thing about the reason i brought up pc pulley sure and and i mean uh, straight up villain but i, I it's, it's sometimes easy to neglect to remember when you just actively hate a character as much as uh-huh. you hate pc pulley like what a great job the actor's doing mm-hmm. that's a great performance even though mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta separate these things out but i thought and Marcus alluded to this as well, just how how upsetting it is, right? Especially the first half when they're just raiding the mangrove over and over again. It's it's really enraging. And what I think, what I think this film, what this episode, whichever we want to call it, um, what this, what mangrove gets right, um, and this is what really resonated with my understanding of history, is that what's so sinister about racism in practice. Is that it's not it's not just you know we don't want you here go back to where you came from it's it's really about actively attempting to suppress any expression of a group's independence because that in itself is somehow for some inexplicable reason an affront to the way things ought to be mm-hmm. and I'm putting I'm putting way things ought to be in in air quotes like uh, PC Pulley isn't merely satisfied with relegating black and brown people to segregated parts of town. He's got some kind of personal beef mm-hmm. with just the fact that the Mangrove restaurant is black owned, right? There's something mm-hmm. to him about black entrepreneurship or black self-sufficiency or self-determination that he feels compelled to squash down and harass into oblivion. And I think, you know, the the larger historical perspective that I, I took from this is that, you know, the idea of separate but equal was never an acceptable model for society, and it was never compatible with human dignity. But even that notion and even that aspiration was just a massive fucking lie if minorities aren't permitted to thrive and congregate even on their own separate terms. And so I feel like the historical continuity uh, uh, in here points to so much tragedy, including like the massacre of Black Wall Street during the Tulsa riots in the 20s. Thank you, Watchmen. (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, or anytime, anytime a black church is bombed or attacked, like I feel like the most diabolical acts of racist violence to this day involve case after case after case in which people are attacked or harassed or even killed just for minding their own business. Mm-hmm. 
and that's something that I that I think this really gets right. Yeah, it it it's it's that the trial is great, but it's I think it's it's because you have a first act that gives you everything you need to know, all the ammunition you need to be ready to just to see where this and the fact that it you know goes in a without getting too far into it goes into a pretty positive direction despite all the anger that you still get in the courtroom as far as the way certain people talk about things calling people savages or what have you uh, there's so much there in that fur in that front half that gives you everything you need to know about wh exactly what position there are and again and it's another case of it's not like this has been dialed down for, or dialed up for the movie it's not like this is cinematically enhanced to make you feel even you know even more bad for the black characters if anything it probably has been dialed down it's probably been worse than what's being betrayed on the screen and it's pretty rough it's rough watching the mangrove being breaking into in like just a calm night where people were just sitting around a table having a pleasant discussion and police just bash down the door and start holding older people against their will for no apparent reason and batting people and just destroying plates and destroy like just 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 wrecking stuff and it's just it is angering it, it makes riling me up just thinking about this realizing that it's not just a movie it's things that happened that need to be explained once again in in fairly clear terms just to make a point and it just happens to be done extraordinarily well i mean it, it Yes, there. That's the weight that I'm talking about. You have everything you need is is set up right there. And yes, it's no, it's no, it's no, it's no slight on the actor. Like it's a the horrible character that they're playing. It's still a great job. I mean, I can say the same about Franklin Gellow, who's a terrible person in that movie, uh, but like he does the job for you know playing that judge in this movie. Though, yes, you have you know PC, but you have the others as well that are all doing the work. And you know to speak on that because I want to move on because we have four other movies to talk about. But let's to talk about some of the performances. Uh, real quick, because uh, I, I mentioned a few already. Um, were, were there any like standout moments or, or just or performances in general that you guys uh, want to know? Oh, Letitia Wright. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not really familiar with Letitia Wright uh, outside of Black Panther, but damn, I was impressed. You, you know, I I, I want to. Um, Letitia's great, and she and I and I think I expected. Uh, uh, what I got from her, um, she just commands the screen. The, there's a, there's a, a, what's her name? Um, Barbara B Bessie, the, Bar the one Bar who played Barbara. B B yeah, Bessie? Rashenda Sendal is the actress. She's fantastic. I, she's the, she plays like a, she's a she's a mixed race character who she's is, a mixed race character who mm. is in uh, has a child by. I, um the 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 darkest character yes and mm -hmm. he uh, she is exudes this kind of like it's it's like a brassy keeping this I all guess. together yeah mm -hmm. i'm keeping this all together but i'm not gonna take any shit i'm mm -hmm. not taking any shit and it's a different kind of not taking it than Letitia exudes or uh uh Malachi, Malachi exudes or or sean parks exudes it's uh, uh uh it's just different it's it's a more i'm getting into the front of this i'm you're not going to treat my people like this we're 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 going in it we're fighting we're getting out there right now and i really just love this performance this part th that performance was most uh uh the eyes and the close-up shots and she didn't have a lot of uh she didn't get a, the 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 screen time that, that everybody else got felt a weight of history and you know systemic 
racism and all of that just on her shoulder. She's having the child. She's like in that one character. So I really loved her performance. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put this. So the weight of history, right? That her yeah. performance kind of carries with it because her like take no shit ism extends also to her own community, right? Or her own like husband, lover. I'm not sure what their relation, but the father of her of her child. Yeah. I mean, she's just as unapologetic and uncompromising among her among her own mm-hmm. uh if they're if they're uh, dawdling or dragging their feet on something her you know she's not there to make nice right we've tried mm-hmm. that we've done that uh we want change no we don't want change we demand change uh and that's um yeah i guess it speaks a little bit to to what i was alluding to earlier about there are disagreements about what kind of pressure and to what 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 to what extent do we put pressure and in what strategic ways do we do it and just some people are um full steam ahead we're not going to take any shit and that's just it's a it's a wonderful and and you know it's just a wonderful contrast to have you have nine the mangrove nine and then to have all nine characters want the same thing but to have different approaches and different talents and different energies to bring to to, to the group is yeah and backgrounds is uh is is fantastic I, uh, I already mentioned that I really like Malachi Kirby's performance a lot as Dark as Hell. And I, I think part of that comes from just the satisfaction that comes out of his cross-examination, specifically with PC Police, mm-hmm. as far as him, you know, it's not about, it's that reserve I pointed out. It's not about him getting, you know, this sense of justice through, like, battering out the truth. It's, he's just providing logic as far as, like, presenting the situation that he's being accused of being a part of and throwing it right back at him, saying what you guys are able to, you know, stick your head out of a tiny hole to see all of us doing exactly this thing you're saying we're doing. And just like the satisfaction that you get from, you know, the crowd, him pointing out exactly what's going on there and making it very evident to the jury, to the judge, to everybody, as far as what's going on. That said, I keep thinking about this Sean Parks before I watched Mangrove again last night, uh, since I watched it first. So it's, but it's been a while since I watched it. It's been like, a few, you know, several weeks. So Frank, Sean Parks is just, he really is great in this film as far mm-hmm. as, having to like both letting it out and holding it back. And he has a couple of monologues where one, he describes characters as vampires as far as the life being sucked out of him by the authority system. That's supposed to be, he can, he's supposed to be able to rely on them to some degree and he can't. And it's just, it's such an apt way. And then that leads to another, like uh, Letitia Wright has like a response to what he's saying also, as far as how to keep fighting. And it's just, there's just really great scenes there, but there's a couple two, there's two other scenes where one, he's on the stand and he is, he is done like he is done like trying to provide like you know a level of a sense of decorum beyond you know one word answers or ones that just kind of get to the point because he's just tired of it all and then there's without getting too far into it once the you know the jury starts reading what's going on and it's just a shot of him like the whole time it's a shot of him it's a long shot there's a lot of we haven't talked about the we'll talk more about the steve mcqueen's direction in this film throughout this whole thing but there's just a long shot of just watching him and seeing a kind of a emotion coming out of him without saying anything. You're just looking into his eyes. It's just, it's really great work from an actor who's been largely just a character actor in, you know, in supporting roles in a lot of things and like giving him a time to shine here. Uh, that's going to be a recurring thing throughout all of these films. You just have a lot of like really great single performances that come out of these things that are intense and wonderful and really reflect what's going on. Um, 
with that said, we should move on because we do have four other movies to talk about. Um, <laughs> that said, Mangrove is the longest one, so I, I understand we can, you know, there's a lot, and plus it's setting the stage for a lot of things, so I, I, I'm not saying that all the other ones are going to be shorter, but I, I can say that I think we can move on a little bit more efficiently as we go on to the next ones. Uh, so let's get to it. Um, one that many might consider a highlight of this whole thing, Lover's Rock. This film, as opposed to Mangrove, is not based off specifically a time in history, like a specific time in history based on actual reality. It's more of a a look at a thing that was happening during this time. It's set in the uh, it's set in 1980. Uh, it takes place at a house party where we watch two basically watch two friends who more or less sneak out to go to a apartment apartment party. Uh, the reasoning for this is because the clubs at the time in London did not allow black people inside. That's just how it was. Uh, because naturally, um, so people would kind of rig up the houses to work as their own rig up apartments to work as their own kind of place for a party. And so we follow these two characters to a party and the whole film is basically set at this apartment party where there's a DJ in the corner. They're playing music. Everybody's dancing. There's lots of men and women there. The varying interactions occur. That, and that's really the best way to sum it up. But with that said, Mike, where are you with Lover's Rock? <clears throat> My favorite one. Mm-hmm. Hands down favorite one. Um, you know, I mean, one thing that we've neglected to mention, but one through line through all five films is sure. the importance of music in the formation yes. of community and, and in the formation of community generally. But this community in particular, the series keeps uh, 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 returning to this over and over again. And it's most prominent in Lover's Rock. And and I, I, I was so enchanted by this one. Um, it's. I mean, I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm not impartial. My favorite film of last year, as Aaron knows, was Gaspar Noah's Climax. Mm -hmm. So like, maybe there's just uh, obviously a very, very different film, but maybe there's just something about dancers on screen and moving bodies that turns me on. I don't know. But I was just really drawn <laughs> to this. And uh, I, I, was, I was admittedly maybe less invested in some of the smaller like B and C narratives going on. There are these smaller micro dramas going on throughout sure. the night that I'm not sure I, I remember all of them in, in much detail. But speaking overall, this was such an experiential, um, I don't even know what word I want, like a tactile, maybe like haptic experience. It's just mm. the music and the a colors. Piece. And, Mood piece. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to float along with this energy and let it carry me. Like I love this one, Marcus. So okay. So to say, I guess if we're ranking them, to say this was my least favorite one, yeah, it was my least favorite one. Hmm. But hmm. only because I think I didn't, I wasn't in the correct mindset coming off of something as like high ad adrenaline, I guess, as Mangrove spilling right into this this was a very this movie is is a feeling it's it's very uh it's like listening to a really well-structured jazz piece like it's just this really um, moody thing and i was waiting for kind of a narrative to start off and it just didn't start off but once i figured out what 
I was seeing and what I was watching. I think in what McQueen was doing with this kind of a non-narrative piece, um, I really appreciated it, but just not as much as the other ones. Um, but here's, here's what I'll say. Here's, here's what I'll highlight of this. Um, for the same reason that I really speak on Barry Jenkins showing black bodies, close-ups of black bodies, I will give as much praise, if not more, to this. We're close up. We're seeing black bodies. We're in the mix. We're walking through um, black crowds. We're not shying away from black kisses, loves, uh, hair, sounds, voices. It's beautiful when it gets to that point. And it's always at that point. But if you're in the right mindset, I think going into it, I think that's the thing. I, I, I really – this is the one that I really want to revisit. I've seen a couple of these twice. I have not seen this twice. I think this 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 is this one I feel would work better on its own if I hadn't just spilled out of Mangrove. I don't know if that makes. I know sense, I, I can but... understand that as far as the kind of shifting gears, as far as what kind of story it's being. Told. Yeah, and even no, then, that's probably like, the biggest. That's the biggest ask of the series, right? The, that that's the shift that's the most uh, abrupt. And this is the only one. This is the only one that has no narrative by comparison to the other ones every other one has a kind of through line that's very clear and it's following generally one character um where this one yeah i I can understand that said i I have seen all these twice, and this one's very (laughs) easy to revisit i've seen this one a few times because my dad watched it also and i was like well i'm gonna watch this now um so (laughs) but and it's also you know it's just over an hour so it's not like it's a hard investment either (laughs) right and when i say that that it's my least favorite i I mean i know i know you're not saying it's it's one a kind of yeah yeah you know like it's it's not it's not a knock on it it's just kind of like it was the one that took me it took me 10 minutes to get into because I didn't know what I was seeing, mm-hmm. honestly. And, and once I got into it, I was like, okay, it's time to recline your seat and just let it happen. And once that was happening, I loved it. I won't be surprised if you have you know, new thoughts if you revisit Clover's, Clover's Rock. Uh, that said, I, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this. I, I think it, there, you know, you're speaking about like just like the the sense, uh, Mike, it's the sense of like you know just like music and dance and what have you, and how that could be like transfixing in some way. You're not wrong. I I mean, one of my favorite scenes from um, Black Klansman a couple years ago is early on. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When 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 um when John David Washington and um and the female character. Um, um, Charisse, when they're just like in the club, like it's after she's been pulled over um, and whatnot, and dealing with the cops, and they're just like now they're just on a date, and they go into the bar and they start and they start dancing, and the whole scene is just it just it, it moves out from them and just shows all of these characters just dancing before everything before everything gets you know more complicated with the actual plot of the movie. You're just watching an extended sequence of people singing and dancing and having a good time. This movie is entirely that. <laughs> it's like, that's wonderful. Like, it's such a, it's such a celebrate. And that's not even, yeah, there are like little subplots and some of them are more dramatic than others. There's, there's basically an attempted rape that happens in this movie, which is mm-hmm. fortunately handled quite well um, and doesn't result in things that are horrible. Uh, but like, there are little, little amounts of drama but for the most part, this is such a just a celebration of the t- of the time, despite the fact that they're not allowed to be somewhere. It's like, OK, fine, we'll do our own thing and it's going to be great. 
and that's what's presented here and it's very much communicated yeah. through it's very much communicated through shot choice through extended sequences of elation and joy including one sequence which is my favorite movie sequence of the year uh where they play the song silly games by janet Kay. And it's a mix of we're going to watch these characters dance and do what they need to and have fun to the song. And then we're just going to stop the song and have the characters just sing, just continue the song for an, another like seven minutes. And it's just like the, it, it's so like the amount of like the, the skill it takes to like make a scene like that work and communicate the exact kind of emotion you're trying to pull off there. That's very impressive to me. Like that, that that's great filmmaking. Uh, yeah, that. The silly game scene, and I, I'm with you. I, I know uh, I've been reading it everywhere online. Just everyone's kind of there's a consensus that yeah, this is the scene, if not the film, this is the scene of the year. And mm. um, I, I mean, I had a really profound reaction to that scene because I mean, to me, it's just so. So I mean, the whole series, Small Axe, is really attentive to the role of music and sound historically, right? And I think it's important to to really recognize how sound and music as a medium has had a really important role in being the medium through which marginalized groups put out expressions of resistance and mm -hmm. self-identification, whether it's like the history of pirate radio or certain genres that emerge like reggae or hip hop. And so to have this, you know, pardon me, but fairly innocuous song, Janet Kay's Silly Games, which is this bit of disco fluff, mm -hmm. but when the song ends, to have the characters continue singing it, which is to say to have them reclaim it and to adopt it and carry it mm. forward on their own. It, uh, you know, to take the song by you know, a black pop star and carry it over from the music industry establishment and all of that hegemony of like disco pop and then sing it on their own terms at their own pace. And then for Steve McQueen to make this just brilliant decision to linger and to just let these characters bask in the song and I just this is why I found it so moving, because I felt like to me, I felt I was watching the to, to slowly see these lines and demarcations between pop culture and counterculture and between yeah. a very narrow ethnic identity and a wider recognizable piece of commercial pop music. You just watch these boundaries melt away in the formation of a community and a sense of togetherness. It was just extraordinary to watch. And it really is about that sense of community, because like when we're watching that sequence in particular, it's not focused on the Martha character, who is ostensibly the lead character, right? You're, you're, they're there. He, she and um, Franklin, the other character she meets up with, they're in the scene, but you have m many more shots of just the other people there. Uh, that are just it, it just enamored by having the chance to do this, to be a part of this moment. Uh, like it, it would be very easy to like follow them constantly or follow them out of the room and everything. You're just hearing stuff in the background, but instead, the movie it uses it uses them as the gateway character, uh, but you're you you're still getting enough of focus on the party as a whole, the the message as a whole, what it's trying to do as a whole, and that that make I think that does make a huge difference. I mean it it it. It takes it from being narrow to being more about this experiential thing, like you're saying, uh, which and, it, and it's properly set up. The opening of this film is Peter characters singing silly games with no yeah. music. on. Like it's it doesn't even come out of nowhere. Like it, it, the movie knows exactly how to like frame these things, how to bring them back, how to tie it all together, which is especially impressive. And it just looks great. We haven't talked about I mean, I've talked about like camera, but like the the series cinematographer is a Shabir Kirchner. 
it is a tremendous work of art that to not only like have a film that looks as good as this one, but it looks entirely different from Mangrove, which looks entirely different from the other three films. Like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, I'm, I, I've had a tough time emphasizing the fact that these are films or it's one film, but it's like there are five other, there are five separate parts, and they all look and they all look different from each other. Which is, I don't feel like that's an easy feat for one director to do when he's making five films in one year. Like that, that seems like something especially impressive, and yet he pulls that off here. And this one, yes, it has this much like warmer quality by comparison because it's not about police coming in and raiding everything. It's just about people that are trying to have a great time, and you have all the costume design, obviously, and the music to go with it. It just it, it it's a in addition to being like a satisfying emotional experience, it's a great sensory experience as well. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I I I had mentioned before that that we are navigating through crowds in this one there's uh-huh. small it's a small room and it's packed and people are kind of uh dancing and having a good time or whatever but the way the camera moves we are immersed in it we are we're catching a side of an arm and we're catching a side of a hip and we're you know we're 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 in it we're we're together with them there's another sequence um that is uh apart from the silly game sequence that is uh like this really prolonged um sequence that i was done very well too that one reminds me now that you bring it up that one reminds me of climax because it's a it's a more of a um like a lively chant kind of bouncing more, yeah, kind of kinetic thing kinetic yeah that is that kinetic energy but uh uh, uh we're still in a closed off room we're still a part of this party and we're still navigating and the way that the camera navigates is just it's super impressive like you said uh i since since aaron brought it up i, I did i do uh, like that you brought up the uh, attempt at the, the sexual assault um because even though the overall tone of this one very much separate from the other four is very tender and and uh, i think someone said celebratory i i did find myself appreciating the little bits of ugliness and and peril that still feature in the film, including the attempted rape, and there's some sort of scary encounters here and there. Uh, there's also like a a brother character who comes in uh, uninvited and butts heads with the bouncer. I I can't quite remember these things, but yeah, I, I think you know what's what's key here, um, and this ties to what I was saying earlier, is that the 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 party is very much an uh, an oasis, right, of music and laughter and joy. But it's also important to remember that it's at the same time not removed from a lot of the toxicity that emerges in human relationships generally. And I think although the series as a whole chooses to address this mainly by focusing on institutional racism, mm-hmm. uh, this one at least makes a nod toward other disparities like gender disparities and other forms of social injustice that ought not be forgotten. Right. So we're all, uh, all striving for racial equality. But. The fight for gender equality, for instance, is is a whole other battleground. And I appreciated the nod toward that. And I, that felt like an important inclusion to me in the series, even if it's only there briefly. Well, it keeps it grounded. I mean, it's 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 yeah, it's it's focused. I mean, there's this the state of humanity. Um, bad things happen sometimes as far as, you know, the way people are viewed or looked at or chosen to be a part of something they may not be a part of. I, there's some, something I really enjoy about this is how there's. 
you know, a lot of the characters we're following are generally women who just want to have a good time dancing generally with their friends or by themselves. And the film multiple times has guys that just come up to them and try to like work their way in, like, you know, trying to flirt with them or what have you. And they're like, you know, I don't want this. I'm just here to have a fun time. It's that, you know, you, you, you thankfully have like the Franklin character who seems like a genuinely good guy um, who diffuses one situation as far as how one character is trying to come on to two other characters. Uh, but for the most part, you get a lot of scenes of, you know, guys trying to intrude on, you know, what could just be an easy night where there's less in that regard. And, it, and it's tricky. I know what you're saying. Like, you know, it's some of it's like warranted as far as suffice to say, playing a sense of hard to get or what have you. Um, but yeah, like it does, it, it, it tries, it tries to mix it up as far as having characters that are, you know, less than savory as far as how they're presenting themselves and what they're trying to do to other characters versus others that are there to just enjoy like, like the scenario that they're in, regardless of what they get out of it. Ultimately, uh, before we wrap up, the ending of this is pretty wonderful, I think, too. Just as far yeah. as the, the kind of yeah. the conclusion of the night, where it leads between two characters, and just that that little final beat as far as a character going back to their room and then having to get up again. <laughs> like, yeah, agree. All right, that's Lovers Rock. Let's move on now. Let's get to Red, White, and Blue. Lord, may you protect your servant, Leroy. Please keep him safe for his police training. Attention! And grant us the wisdom to accept his decision. At least this way, Dad, I can change things. Get out of my house! Out there, it is us and them. That's how it works. to be scorched. Yeah. Replanted. Something good will come of it. This is the third entry. It stars John Boyega. John Boyega uh, from Detroit? From Detroit in Pacific Rim Uprising. Obviously. Star Wars? In Star Wars. The space I'm, not, I, I'm not aware of the Pacific... I, I'm not aware of what that is. I'll, I'll send you a link <laughs> to an episode that you're on. Um, but, um, but he, star, he stars as uh, Leroy Logan. A... What was he? What was he before? He was a police. He was like a science, uh, like a forensic science. Forensic scientist, yeah. He was a forensic scientist who, because his his father is pretty badly beaten by police officers, he's like, all right, I'm gonna become a police officer myself, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change the system. That's his goal here, and he proves himself to be, you know, he passes all his tests, flying colors, he does everything he needs to, but once inside the police force, it is not nearly as simple as he feels it can be to enact any sense of change or what have you and that's not, i mean that's fairly in the middle of the film we get a whole you know kind of opening that gives us an exact sense of who his father is and what he's had to help his son go through or at least understand in coming up in this world um, and who the son was exactly yeah and who the son was with, with that in mind marcus where are you with red white and blue so this is my favorite one okay um i think i think it's it's easy for me to say this was probably the most cut and dry one where where i really recognized what i was seeing and everything like that but i i think why it comes together so well is the performance of john boyega i'm a big huge fan of john boyega he always plays these when he plays these specific characters and he's played them he played one in detroit it's always this really 
it's so far, I think, removed from his his personality sure. as far as like being kind of like this outspoken, I guess, leader of the the these these the the Black Lives Matter movement in London, and um, you know, just just. I don't care if I work again, I'm just going to speak up. And now he plays a character that is, wants to be a cop. So this is, it's, it's, it, it, it was just very interesting to me. It was a lot to, you know, get in there. But what, what, um, what I really loved about this movie and, 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 and it was another one that was just relevant. Um, when talks about like, uh, the defund the police movement and everything that's, yeah that's happening uh in 2000 uh that happened in 2020 um this shows that there are multiple it's not a monolith right black people are not a monolith it shows that there are multiple sides to this thing this one shows two sides a father who is not in favor of cops does not like cops they you know knows that there are races cops there are tons of this the, the 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 society that cops stem from are is just this racist thing in a in a kid who has always been very you see him as a little boy and you see he's been very um authority kind of yes this is they want the best for us they're they're the it's they're they're not doing the harm that 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 you think we are that they're doing but if, when they are doing the harm, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to change it. I can do something about this. So I, th- I found that very interesting, that 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 uh, dichotomy, very, very interesting to see play out, um, especially from John Boyega. And I don't know who the other actor was, but he's he was fantastic as There's well. There's the father? Um, yes, as the Steve, father. Steve Toussaint is his name. Just fantastic. Um, all the mannerisms, all the – I would say he outshines John a lot. Um, when he's on screen so i this was just was just this was like my movie i i really liked it he did they pushed the limits of what i even even personally what i'm uh, um kind of in favor of whether i'm you know for this or that this one pushes me into a direction where okay let me see what you're doing even if i don't 100 percent agree with you uh i i mean i like all of these this is the angriest one um yeah. but, and i mean we're coming off of mangrove which has a lot of things that are rage inducing but this is clearly as far i feel like from steve mcqueen's perspective this is his angriest film is from this set of films um that's very much digging into the, the kind of like what's going on here like we're, we're following the police we're following these characters and we're following this one man's journey to discover like how bad things can be and I think it's very affecting, mainly because of these performances that John Boyega is very good in here. As what, well, but yeah, Steve Steve Desant is is great as far as wanting like he's done what he can to kind of tell his son what's up, and he's dealing with his own mm-hmm. like struggles that we very much see, and just to have this kind of rug pulled out from under him as far as like not getting what his son's trying to do and trying and you know wanting to understand like. What <laughs> wanting to like impart this knowledge is like okay I I get the like messaging you're going for but things aren't just gonna work for you here like and like and the the idea that it's I mean you you say it's a cut and dry film what I like about this is how it ends pretty messily it ends in a sense it where, does. where yes. you know 
it's more about a, a stubborn realization that you can't just do the thing you want to do here. And even if you do start to meet, create change, it is, I think as is exactly said in the film, it is a slow turning wheel. Uh, and so like the way that's reflected here and the, the struggle you see Boyega's, uh, Leroy Logan, you see him go through as he kind of learns his place in all of this, I found it to be quite effective. Um, Plus, I know, Mike, you'll be, you mentioned this as well, but there's the use of music incorporated here. There's a lot of Al Green tracks in this film. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found I found that to be quite affecting as well as far as giving you this kind of... The way it's juxtapositioning the struggles of these characters against like these you know meaningful music tracks that are informing the scene in their own unique way. But, Mike, Mike where are you with uh, Red, White, and Blue? Well, I'll, I'll try not to... Um just simply rephrase what you guys are saying because it does sound like I'm I'm lining up quite nicely with your response like John Boyega I mean th- this role is really significant in the context of his recent um mm-hmm. I would say explosive voice of protest against police mm-hmm. brutality and all that I mean this isn't this isn't teddy bear star wars boyega this is like angry John Boyega and and it makes me really excited about his continuing journey as an artist and uh, as an artist who's maybe more and more melding his politics with his craft. Um, I see Michael B. Jordan doing similar things, and that's that's all very exciting. And um, it's the kind of just real quick. It's the kind of thing where, like, I you know, I found him in Attack the Block. I think most many of us have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the the kind of the, the the social commentary there is there. It's not super heavy, but it's you know, it's on the mind. And you can see that in Boyega's character, as far as he's a. He's trying to fight being a product of his environment, and but that's a film where it's small scale and he doesn't have much say in what he's doing beyond like I'm accepting this role. Now after Star Wars, he has the ability to choose a lot more things I'd imagine, and he can be creative in those choices, which is why I think he has something like this where you have you know a, you know immensely talented filmmaker giving him the opportunity to express what he wants to in a way that you know obviously fits the character, but also is something he can tackle. It's something he can tackle in, things, in ways that interest him, regardless of like the positioning of this character versus who he is in real life. I, th- I find that to be very interesting. I agree with you as mm-hmm. far as where he can go from here, because this is by, by, by far his best performance, I think, at, thus far as an actor. Well, well, that being said, I was a little bit less engaged uh, with this one. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like what Marcus was saying with Lover's Rock. It's, it's not that I didn't like it. It's, you know, if, if, I, if I gave Mangrove four stars, I'd give this one three. You, you know, it's still very solid. But... It just it felt the most familiar to me, right? It's it's a Serpico narrative. Uh, I think the as you guys have been alluding to, like his relationship with his father is what's most interesting about this, yeah. and it's it's where it has the most dramatic heft. Um, because as I keep mentioning, it really points to the fact that there are very sharp and legitimate disagreements over how to achieve change and how grievances are are supposed to be addressed. And, you know, you called it an angry film, but I mean, it's it's certainly the one that that's the most ambiguous at the end. And I did love that that it does ultimately come down to that relationship between father and son that doesn't end with him sort of throwing up his hands and quitting or or even his father having an I told you so moment, Mm -hmm. because it's really clear that the, the mission is a noble one, but you you get the sense that McQueen himself feels like he's questioning whether the struggle or, or McQueen himself seems to at least consider the possibility that joining the police was a foolish thing to do or that it was foolish mm-hmm. to assume that his idealism would carry him through. 
as depressing as that is. Well, that's why I call it angry in my eyes as far like, mm-hmm. and you know, angry, there's a lot of different connotations I think you can apply to angry, but I do think the, what he's getting at, I mean, is the kind of what you're saying, how, how, what impact am I going to make ultimately? Like the, the kind of the frustration that comes with an uncertainty or, you know, a lack of progress, despite whatever minuscule amount there might actually be. I think that compared to the other films that I'm watching here, I, I feel like there's there's a there's a lot more throwing your hands up in the air and being like, well, what can I do uh, by comparison? And the tragedy also is that, you know, what the sorry, what's it? Leroy, Leroy, Logan? Leroy yeah, what he does in, in effect perhaps inadvertently, he cuts ties with his own community in favor of joining uh-huh. another community that instinctively rejects him, like mm-hmm. like white blood cells attacking an intruder. You like that? Ha ha ha. The, uh, wow. It's just... Um, the and, and the sense of dislocation and um, like how unmoored he becomes by the end is, is, is quite tragic. And so actually, so let me... I, I'd like to ask this question. Sure. My... My understanding is that there's a little bit of confusion over the order of the films because they debuted at festivals in a different sequence than what they eventually put out on Prime. Well, they so, they debuted the first three. They play they played Mangrove Lovers Rock and Rewind Blue, and then they just didn't show the last two. I see. So so this is always meant to be number three in the sequence. I I think people were confused that this was supposed to be the last one, and. I think it might, might have been a listing thing because I, I think they also thought that like Alex Weedle and Education were going to be before Red, White, and Blue, but then that wasn't okay. the case. So it, yeah, I, there was confusion. That's well. Uh, so I, the, yeah, yeah the, the reason I mention it is because I do feel it's smartly sequenced the way we experienced it because a key element of this one is the immense sense of frustration and backlash that he faces from his own community mm-hmm. for deciding to become a cop, even though his intentions are presented very sympathetically in the film. Um, and this distrust of the police uh, among the community, I mean, in the age of Black Lives Matter and, and defund the police, like we, we don't need it spelled out, spelled out for us why such distrust exists. But within the universe of small acts, having Mangrove precede this story, I think, really does help establish the stakes uh, a little bit. So yeah. that, that's just something. Yeah. And ha- and having this one precede the other two. Yes, well. I, yes, that's what I was going to, yeah, and we'll talk about those two, but I do, I, I completely agree as far as the sequencing of these makes complete sense to me, uh, and I think it's, while there's, you know, you can watch, you can technically watch in whatever order, I think there is something more satisfying about watching these in the order that they've been presented in. Right. There there are characters in the other two, in, in Alex Weedle and Education, which are the side immigrant characters that, that are I believe they start presenting themselves in red, white, and blue. He, there's there's another there's another uh, there's there's a, a South Asian who is on, on the force, yeah, a yes. South Asian uh-huh. immigrant who is on the force, and he's really vocally expressing what his what uh, 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 Leroy's father had been expressing. Like I think this is the wrong thing to do. Why am I here? I'm not even invited to my own to weddings anymore. I'm I'm like he's really complaining and you can see john boyegas or the leroy character just uh, stuff is in his head and he's very conflicted about what's going on and that character ends up you know distancing himself from john as well um but in the other two there are characters like this too so i, I love the placement of, of this uh it's hard mike as far as what you're saying as far as 
ranking it however inconsequential that might be i don't disagree like i do put this mm -hmm. lower on the list by comparison okay. uh, i think it's i think it's fourth out of five for me but like i mean that's not saying anything as far as being bad but honestly like it's it's not that i was disconnected from the narrative it just like wasn't hitting me as impactfully as the other two were outside of like several scenes or especially early on when you're really seeing kind of basically when you're seeing what the father is being put through in all mm -hmm. of this, and even that that very first scene where you have young Leroy Logan just being, and when I say young, I mean like an eight-year-old being hassled by the police, being like, "You fit a description." It's like the boy's eight in a school uniform. What are you talking about? How fitting right. a description? And the and the father comes in and says, "You have any charges?" No, and he walks away and he tells gives him the speech about you know how things are going to be. Like that stuff was really compelling to me. The rest of it, like yeah, it's it's doing its job or whatnot. But it is that it, all this is to say, it is that final conversation that raised it up to me. Uh, okay. As far as like the over my overall opinion on the on the film, because I do think that yes, the, the the tension between Leroy and his father is the most interesting aspect of the film and the most powerful one, and it very much could have ended it yeah in some cliched cliched way as far as you know either a sense of embrace or a sense of it's over or whatever, but instead it has this more begrudging realization and a sense of like we're both one now because we both get this thing and we can share that over a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, uh, as as opposed to anything more explosive or what have you. Like it, it just that's that's such a smart move for the film to make in my eyes. And there's a way to get further into that as far as who this character is because Leo Rogan is a real character. He's still alive. Like he's still he's still doing things. right. That's that's uh, another thing I wanted to ask you guys. Sure. About. I don't know. If, uh, so so as far as the the brief. Uh, anything that I know of Leroy Logan is that he continued to be a cop. He advocated for, he changed, he's, he's touted as changing the face of the Metropolitan Police Department uh -huh. as far as like inclusivity and uh, being more, uh, uh, I guess, aware of the community that you're serving. Um, and he wrote a book, which I don't know if this is based off of, but he recently wrote a book. Um, some of this seems in conflict with that because he seems like a very, so, so I wouldn't say this is a pro police or anti police. I, I would, I would honestly, I would kind of lean more towards kind of anti, like this is just kind of this whole establishment is kind of screwed. Um, but, but it's certainly highlighting something on display that happened. So it's like, it's right. like, you can't really right. get around some of these things just to but, appease a certain mindset. The guy is him itself is seems to seems to be a like this pro like really like uh, raised up character in real life for the Metropolitan Police. So yeah, I don't know. It didn't really do anything for me because I didn't. I I, I looked it up afterwards. But uh, so the movie itself works without that. But I just thought that was another. That was kind of a, a, an odd kind of thing for me. Well, it goes into like what the film's trying to accomplish. Like, it could be a biopic that just gets you into this thing and how it you right. know, was worse and then it got better. That's not right. the movie, Steve McQueen. He like he can make that movie. No. It's not hard. It's not hard for him to write the scenes where John Boyega right. like starts to make progress and becomes a better figure for whatever reason. But I think it's more focused on how do you take this guy who's a naive optimist essentially right. and bring him down and bring him down and bring him down and bring him to the point of he's he's absolutely mad because he could have gotten killed because nobody wanted to back him up because he made a stink about being <laughs> about discrimination taking place in the workplace. 
Right. And and what it, and what it is to suddenly get who your father is and what it is that he's faced and how it's not a simple well I'll just do it the right way and everything will be fine. It's a nope. It's a lot more complicated than that. Right. Things are gonna th- things things take a lot more work and it's it's not you can't just uproot systemic racism. You have to really go above and beyond and even then it's only gonna you know affect reflect you know some sense of change and not an entire sense of like system being handled completely differently and i and i think that i there is value in that which again comes from the rest of these films that that's why this works as a part of a whole right and and it gives and it gives you more to chew on than just oh that was a nice story about this guy which a lot of biopics tend to be Mm -hmm. specifically guy by the way also yeah as as to your point this pairs well with alex weedle because i knew who Alex, I had heard Alex Weedle before and it's it, these, both of these films, and this is somebody I'd never heard of, but both of them are cut off at a certain point to kind of like do your own research if you must, but we're showing you something that this guy is just basically, he, he just so happened to be a care, the character here. It's, it's not, we're not talking about his, anything in his future. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about that. It's known but this is what we're talking about to kind of highlight a greater kind of argument mike any additional thoughts here uh no no i think that's a good transition to uh alex weedle actually for me it was always about the music uprising there's an uprising there ain't no work and we have no shilling we can't take no more of this suffering so we in a big um this is the fourth entry in, in small acts here uh this film follows the character alex weedle um who starts off as uh he's a foster child right um who's raised in a He's raised in more of a kind of a, a white, a whiter community. Put in Surrey, yeah. In Surrey, yeah. And, it, and it's a very abusive situation. Eventually, he does find his way uh, back in, into the kind of in the, the West Indian area and basically just learns about the culture that he was raised outside of um, and becomes aware of of what basically what it is to be black in England at this time. It's set in 1981. It's a, well, it's a biopic, so it's set like between 1970 and 1980 essentially like you get a good like span of time following this character um which eventually leads to and this is how it starts so it's not a spoiler but eventually leads to his imprisonment for a brief period of time as he was involved in the brixton uprising where he was involved in the protest uh which is gives him the opportunity because the film's mostly a lot a lot of it's told in flashback to some degree you get the opportunity to kind of learn about who this character is and like where he's going to go from there and i'll start um with this one uh i Again, like as far as arbitrary ranking goes, this one probably goes like at the bottom for me, but it's not because of you know it's battery. It's just by compared to the others, it just it, it hit me the least. At the same time, though, what I really liked right away was this prison stuff, um, or as far as where it was going, because you you're there's a way, and I think Steve McQueen smartly does this a lot. He subverts expectation, I think, as far as what you're expecting things to go, where you have Alex Weedle in a prison cell with this other. A fairly large man um and that could go a certain way based off just how we've been brought up to see prison films but in this moment where alex wheel is I keep calling him his full name for some reason where alex is um like you know raging about things part of it's because of 
the bathroom habits of his cellmate, but also just because of his situation in general. He's just really frustrated. And as he's, you know, trying to, like, pick a fight and get loud and angry, the, you know, his, the man next to him, instead of, like, fighting him back or just pushing him down because he's a giant man and he could probably easily just take out Alex if he wanted to, he hugs him. He holds on to him, he hugs him, and he asks, he, he, he tells him, tell me what's going on. Let, let it out, but tell me what's going on. I will listen to you. And from there, you get his story, but I found that to be, I just, that was wonderful to me as far as, like, the idea, you know, after going down a hole with red, white, and blue as far as how bad things can get for someone that just wants to do the right thing, now you're getting a character that's, he clearly has issues he's dealing with, and I think a lot of that's been because of he's been abused for a lot of his a young life, and he's just never had a chance to, like, be real with anybody, and now he's going to do that. And that's what the rest of the film essentially is. Uh, from there, like it, you know, you go through a basically a quick biopic. It's like an hour. It's it's just over an hour. And you're just watching kind of the life progression of this man who would one day become a famous British. He's still he's like under fifty, I think. Like he's not <laughs> old. Like he's he's out there. He's doing his thing. Uh, so I just I, I I I enjoyed getting this kind of mini biopic of sorts as far as this person goes. But Mike, how about you? Where were you with Alex Weedle? I thought this was one of the weaker ones. Um, I agree with the, the things you're saying, like the, the sort of, you know, when they get into a fight in the jail cell and he says, you know, tell me your story. I thought that was powerful. And it, it reminded me of Mangrove when the characters decide to act as their own counsel. You know, this sort of um, recurring theme of sort of claiming your own voice, right? Telling your own story, standing up for yourself. Um, that said, I... I, this is the one that has a unconventional plot structure, right? Kind of moves around time periods and things like that. Sure. And I, I mean that, I mean, it's nothing innovative, but that was interesting. But on the whole, this is the one that felt a bit mm, scattered to me. Unfocused maybe is the word I'm looking for. You know, I, I, I didn't mind the length uh, one way or another, but I don't, I don't know that it would have um, hurt if it had been a little bit longer because it felt you know, a little underdeveloped or unfinished to me. You know, the 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 one thing. I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna not mention this, but there's a sequence, I guess, toward the end where it switches into kind of a documentary mode, mm-hmm. and gives us these real photos of the Brixton riots. Um, and the narration that accompanies it is really stunning. And I, I'm assuming that's the real Alex. Uh, Weedle, um, or at least passages from his own writing, that that would seem to make sense to me. Do we know this? I I couldn't find out if it was his actual voice. I know it's I know they are passages, yes, but as but, far yeah, as his writing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not, even that though. So that I found that sequence just absolutely stunning. But even with that in mind, I'm not sure how effective it was within the larger framework of the film because, like, there is a tradition of uh, narrative films that have that that interrupt the flow of the narrative for like a a standalone documentary sequence, maybe most famously with Judgment at, Judgment at Nuremberg or their sequences of Shock Corridor that do this. But I found it to be really powerful. But I, I, I wonder what you guys thought of that, because I can also see people complaining about how it feels a bit out of place or that the documentary power kind of only draws attention to how comparatively uh Weak. Uh, some of the rest of this one is. It feels like it feels like Spike Lee. I mean, Spike, Spike Lee. That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do, did you find it. it as compelling? Yeah. 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 Just because I was so familiar with, I I loved when Spike does it, and it felt like that to me. And so it was just like, let's take a step, 
and do this and we're going to watch this and, and then we're going to go back to our story. Especially because the story, I, I kind of agree with you guys, the story wasn't as, um, I guess, compelling in the whole as uh, the other ones were. But yeah, I, I agree. As far as the presentation of this moment, I really enjoyed it because it it gave me a lot of, like, without knowing too many details about, you know, Brixton Riots, it gave me a lot to work with there in a way where it's like, okay, I'm excited to, like, learn more about this when I'm done with it. But as far as giving me something that, you know, changes things up for one thing, but also just feels elegant in the way it's, like, handled as far as giving you, the you know, these passages and these this imagery and whatnot, and it works as kind of economical storytelling um, to get you into a sense of, like, a place as far as what went down here without kind of focusing intensely on that, given that the film's trying to be about specifically Alex Weedle. Like, it, yes, the, the the narrative is not as strong, like, compared, you know, compared to the other three films I've already watched, but I, you know, having having something like this in there, like, that's, you know, that's an interesting choice from a filmmaker perspective that I respected. So, I I I feel like I I'm we're kind of on the same page with the this was kind of like just more of a as not more of a routine story more of a routine biopic than than the other ones were but I feel like I liked it a little bit better because there was a lot of like I feel like. There was a lot of cultural with with everything um, in 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 Lovers Rock and with the music and everything like that. There was a lot of speech patterns here that were just we're gonna really. This was a, a, a guy that was taken out of his culture, abused and shoved back in, and we're gonna show his, his progression, focus hit focus on him kind of relearning his language, and I thought that was fascinating to watch in 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 uh, how mcqueen actually did that so i i thought i i i really i enjoyed that aspect of it i think a little bit more than maybe you guys did i don't know well, well I, no, I, actually that that's that's something that um i i thought really set this one apart from the other ones it makes it interesting because this is the one of the four or, sorry of the five films this is the one about a character who's like discovering his identity and coming yes. to terms with his identity whereas all yeah. the other ones all the other ones are about people who are already pretty firm in what they stand for and the drama and the conflict is in them defending it right and so there is a, a, a fish out of the water element to this that i thought was fascinating no so I, with... I i agree yeah as far as the the character being presented like that's that's something I did find fascinating and relatable in some degrees, uh, not entirely, but is but like I, I, I that was I like that that differentiated from the other stories being told exactly what Mike you just said as far as you did, d- defending versus discovering. Yeah, sorry, um, I, d- I didn't mean to step over you. Sorry. No, you're no, you're fine. No, you're fine. Yeah, that's just it's a great way. It's the it's the way to put it. <laughs> I mean, so, but um, yeah, I just. For being a you know a sixty minute biopic about this guy, uh, where it had and it, you know even by the time it reaches its conclusion, you have a you have an idea of where it's going as far as okay this is where he is now, but I I wouldn't have minded fleshing things out further. Not that I need to see more like young days abuse because that sucks. Um, but as far as him coming up in this environment, like re- you know discovering this environment, like there's a lot there that was just. Uh, 
I feel like I could have been more invested in the film if I got more of that stuff because it just it was mm-hmm. it was working. Like I think uh, Shay Cole, who plays Alex Weedle, uh, he's doing. I think he's doing a good job here. It's like there's there's more there I could have gotten from this. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with. I, I I I do agree with you on 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 some aspects. When I think back on to whether I like the story or actually like to see this this young man's progression um, more, I did focus on his progression rather than the i guess the story that was being told um but to me the story was the progression and uh-huh. i you know I, I i enjoyed like the 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 things that i enjoyed most are when he went to the dinner with his friend and yeah. he was just immersed into this world and everybody looked at him like that's my son that's my family that's what oh, sit down hold my baby stuff like that and he was like i don't wow like i'm trying to catch up I'm trying to catch up and people are just speaking to him like he's like, oh, uh, 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 the mother asks him like, oh, you don't eat at home? Your mom doesn't cook? She, he goes, sometimes because he's, you know, he's lying and he wants to feel included. And she goes, sometimes like how oh, I can't fathom that. But it, it, it's it, those are the parts of the movie that I really liked. And, and, and yeah, for sure. That's not the structure, I guess, the 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 biopic part of the movie that's more of just the conversational stuff of the well, movie. It is, and that's stuff yeah, that, that that's stuff that McQueen does well but i mean the detail level and like that's just that's the stuff that's throughout the series that's great but like the, right. the scene you're talking about right there the one the like the bit that got me was when he gets his food he is eating it he is scarfing right. it down because that's that tells you so much about his character he's a guy that's grown he's a kid that's grown up in this abusive environment where he likely if he didn't if he if he got food it probably wasn't much and it was probably being you know shared by many and so if he wanted to eat he'd have to scarf it down right away in order to have anything to eat so it's like getting him into this this warm and friendly home where he has a whole meal of, of food of, of fried chicken and vegetables and all these nice things and he's just woofing it down right away it's like that tells me that that's a kind of like a character detail right there that just says so much that you know, explaining it wouldn't necessarily help with. And I wish the rest of the film was kind of made up of that kind of thing, too. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a smart little uh, thing in the context of the whole series, too, because, you know, we've already discussed the role of music and how it, it it's one of the through lines uh, across all five films, but also, like, these sort of moments of community and communal gathering and tradition. And one of them, of course, is sitting around dinner tables, right? We get a lot of, the, the, starting with Mangrove, right? There's just a lot of emphasis on food, as part of like the the dna of the Uh, culture that's being displayed and so to have just to have yet another eating scene a dinner a meal scene is very much in line with the series but again to have him be a character who's part of the community ethnically but still new to it culturally right so to have him kind of be presented with uh, a meal which is in keeping with the sort of emphasis on food and and communal gathering but to then have a character beat which is he's just scarfing it down because he's so unfamiliar with this is mm-hmm. is kind of a nice convergence of like his personal narrative as as sort of an alienated uh, unfamiliar person versus what the series is concerned with overall in terms of presenting these moments of of gathering and togetherness and so that's that's a very smart just very smart writing well, I think with that, we can move on to the final film um, of the series, Education. They say our children are too loud, too slow, or too lively. The school system has a policy of targeting our children. There is a deeply rooted cultural bias. As a collective, we stand a chance. We are 
are the small axe, sharpened to cut you down. Um, this one focuses on young boy Kingsley Smith, who, I mean, he's in elementary school, grade school, whatever you want to call it for, as far as England's concerned. Um, he, because he's a child and he, he's, you know, just learning, much like everyone else, um, he's not the best reader as of yet. He acts out a bit in class. He is chosen to go to a special school, essentially. He is explained this by the principal of the current school he's at, to the or the mother is explained this, and she goes along with it. And once there, he, he he's joining many other black children, um, who are all mostly just regular kids that are seemingly not being taught anything. They're just kind of there to be there. And it is eventually made clear by other other characters who enter the scene uh, that black children in particular are being basically called out of schools to be brought to these other schools because they've been deemed educationally subnormal, um, which ultimately leads to the mother, among others, working to disband this notion and make things right. Um, that's try to summarize this about giving every entirely everything what's going <laughs> on away, but. Um, Mike, where are you with education? I like this one. I'd probably, uh, since we're, we've been talking about rankings, I'd probably put this like squarely in the middle. Just, I mean, it's really good. It's just the mangrove and lover's rock are just, are just so strong that I feel like this one doesn't quite live up to it. But, um, I think it's a great ender. Not, not just, not just because it literally ends with this moment of, of hope and, and, like a, quite literally kind of a cosmic uh, sense of destiny and, and moving forward. But um, it's, it's, I like what it's doing. I don't presume to know what McQueen thought he was doing here, but the effect it had on me was that uh, putting forward the idea that the racial inst and institutional stigmas that follow you for life really do come from cycles that begin from childhood, right? And that, you know, the, the systemic inequities that end up weaving their way through uh, labor and politics and wealth and all of these different aspects of society really do have their origins in the, the, the unequal distribution of life chances that are provided to children at the very basic level of like reading, writing, and arithmetic, right? And in the case of young Kingsley here, the tragedy of this injustice is compounded by the fact that what he wants to be is an astronaut. Yeah. Right. He's fascinated yeah. by uh, it opens with him being sort of just transfixed by a planetarium. And the implication, I think, is that like, if he if he grew up to want to pursue this particular dream, what he would benefit from is a STEM education, which by its nature it shouldn't be beholden to any racial or ethnic heritage, right? That that's the nature of STEM, and so that that to me felt more tragic um, and and um, impactful. And and you know, I'm speaking as an educator myself. So I've described Red, White, and Blue as an angry film, and I've described the rage that you get out of watching parts of Mangrove. This one made me angry <laughs> uh, because I like it. Uh, the and like I yeah I would probably put it in the middle, but the effect it had it just it hit me in a way that I was not expecting as far as seeing a film about children, and I think that's part of the reason why it got me so much is because it's not just dealing with adults now that have had to face these things; it's about children that don't even have the chance to 
even recognize what they're being put through to begin with. And it feels like if there was ever someone that doubted the presence of systemic racism, this is like you could put this in the dictionary as far as what systemic racism looks like, as far as how these kids are treated. What the the idea of being a kid, and this is largely my review coming out of me now. It's like it, being a kid that like wants to be an astronaut. When the idea of going to a planetarium and being like, this is amazing. I want to do this all the time. I want to be an astronaut. I want to study stars. I want to do all this. And going to school and being like, okay, like I'm at school. I'm not the best reader, but fine. I'm at school. And being told, nope, you got to go to a different school. Why? Because you're educationally subnormal. That's fucking disgusting. Like I can't, it, it made me so upset <laughs> to watch this and to watch the mother be gaslit about how like her child needs to go to this other place simply because he's what acting up in class. It's just, it, it hit me so hard <laughs> watching this go through and then watching them at the school. And something I really like about how that school's depicted, it's not as though Kingsley is like the best student. Like, yeah, he acts up and he's not like, he, I get that. Like, I get, you know, he's a kid, kids do things. But like when he's at that school, he's just bored. And then you have a kid next to him, a little girl, who's clearly very smart, who clearly, like, wants to learn things, wants to do stuff. And she's at this school for some reason. And so it's just, like, all this stuff was compounding, <laughs> along with, like, the teachers that are just, like, playing guitar and, like, doing nothing at all, but, like, just trying to, like, get these kids to, like, go to sleep and not do anything all day. It's like, my God. I, 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 I'm so happy that Naomi Aki's character, also from Star Wars, came in to, like, like study this and tell the mother like this is what's going on here and we need to work at this and i'm sorry that this is hard to hear but you're gonna have to understand that this is not right at all and we can do something about this if you help me like i i this the, going from anger to having like some kind of journey i could be on to like see a see some kind of change happen and make things better was a relief for one thing as far as how angry i was watching this movie but also just very satisfying so it's like, I understand that it's not as impactful necessarily as watching Mangrove or Lover's Rock, but at the same time, I felt so much for, like, so much empathy for the situation uh, that, that was actually going on. And I know, again, this one's not based on a specific story as compared to, you know, like, Leroy Logan's story or the story of Mangrove, but it is it is reflective of what Steve McQueen, what he, how he was brought up. There's a lot of, like, personal uh, details that went into this story. That's how I know that it connects to him specifically for this one. And uh, I, no, I was I was really taken by it. I thought it was very, I thought it was very effective for sure. I think you can hear that in what I'm saying. Uh, but Mark, Marcus, where are you with education? Um, yeah, it made me angry as well. Um, this one actually, I, I there's a there's a scene near the end when 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 there's uh, crying characters, and I cried as well. Um, this Thanks. one, I I I. I I tend to think with this one is that we know what we're getting into right away. Um, we know the story we're going to get as far as like uh, there is a system that is put in place that is not for black people or not for immigrants. And it's not for it's just not there's testing in place and there's IQ tests and these bizarre things that split uh, people off from society forever. Um, and I feel like. Like what McQueen does is he uses some long, long takes and there's a long take in particular that I really, really loved. And it is that annoying long take of the uh, guys, the teacher singing um, House of the Rising Sun, the full like extended version, you know, uh -huh. to kids that are 
bored and they're 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 just bored and at first that scene um i feel like there's he's showing us like this root this this is this is a bad situation and we know it's a bad situation you all know it's a bad situation but we're gonna i'm gonna take you to the freaking solar system with this i'm gonna show you the vast impact that this thing is gonna have and throughout this scene we see bored kids and i feel like he wants you to start thinking about what's happening here and the guy goes through another verse and we're like these are not just bored kids these are kids that are being excluded from society and then we go through another verse and you're like this impact is going to be permanent these people are being removed from society as an entire an entire race is being removed from your society in in what we're calling kind of like this uh uh legal um legally right it's not just like this 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 uh red white and blue racism where i'm calling you a name or it's not like this these other forms of physical racism it's this kind of legal racism that is being um uh geared towards young people who have are defenseless and so I, i i really thought like scenes like that scenes where he's in the bathtub um and and this is a these are these are christian this the the the, the teaching principal tells him I'm a Christian man and and these people are very Christian in the belief so they believe him um but there's a scene when he's in the when the, the kids in the bathtub too where he's almost baptizing himself but almost trying to go away which I thought was super impactful too like this is what is going through the mind and he's trying to capture what's going through the mind of a ten year old boy I don't know how old he is um but I thought it was beautifully structured. I thought these long takes that he does are really like, think about the long-term impacts. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about this, but what's actually going on here. And this may seem like a kind of a silly nonsense theme scene that we're seeing, but think about the ramifications just that are spilling out there. And if they're allowed to continue, that will just, uh, 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 totally obliterate an entire society so that's that's how i saw it yeah that's that's really astute and i i think um you know one one thing i was wondering about this one that felt different was that i wasn't sure whether there were like attempts at irony and even humor in this one it, it left me a little bit confused because for instance the the house of the rising sun sequence i was watching that going like my god why is this going on so long is this meant to be funny is this meant to be hilariously awkward and kind of surreal but then i think marcus like you really nailed it which is if you look at it from the perspective of a child this is just excruciating right yeah but that being said there are also these weird beats like there's there's a kid who just yelps like a dog Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. and over again um a little white child little white child i was definitely wondering what her audition was like you know like do you do you think they went through several girls or did she like nail it right away like you're in kid you know but um later on when the advocates for educational reform are saying like okay well we're going to uh send a letter to uh to to the the state education secretary or whatever it is and it's margaret thatcher And I wasn't sure whether or not that moment is just, you know, it's just historically accurate because that's who, you know, the leadership was at the time. Or if that's meant to be a sort of like row 
moment. Yeah, no, it, it is. Right? Uh, I I completely right. read. It's I a loaded so. phrase. It's a loaded. Yeah. It's a it's a mix of triumph as far as like, look, we're doing something about this, and then you say Margaret Thatcher, like, and it's Margaret like Margaret Thatcher. That's, yeah. I mean, that's that's the cycle, right? That's where we're watching. I mean, you you release small acts now. It's not because remember when racism was bad. Um, yeah. It's 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 a reflection yeah. of like, yeah, we can make things better, but at the same time, things if they don't get worse, they still continue on. And that's not to like entirely say everything about Margaret Thatcher in one sentence, but it is like a matter of, yes, you're, you're pointing out the fact that we're trying to do something about this. At the same time, there are very specific figures in history that still contribute to what's going on or what, right. you know, what things are going to matter. So it's like, yeah, I, I, well, the, I, the way they spoke about her was very hopeful. Yes. So we've been in and we have a historical yeah. context to understand why yes. that phrase means something different right. than what or, they or, or, why, or, or why let's let's be let's be uh, gregarious here. Why Margaret Thatcher is perhaps a little bit controversial. Yes. Uh, we can put it that way. Um, <laughs> but but absolutely. I mean, Marcus alluded to a crying scene. I don't want to explain what goes on in that scene, but I I was very much affected by that as well. It's devastating. But it's also it's devastating. But it's also about um love and solidarity and hard work and uh, overcoming a problem right so it was devastating but it's also about uplift and it is the scene that pivots toward uh, a final act of this film which is very much about uplift and hope and sort of uh i don't know if i'd call it progress given everything going on but certainly like you know moving forward and i think that that makes this the right film to end this on because it's it's, it's yeah. an angry one, but it also in, encapsulates what Small Axe is about in its entirety, right? Which is about a sense of, of uplift and, and community and, uh, you know, the the working togetherness of it all. And it's and it's a focus on the future. It's a focus on the younger generation and like what they, you know, there there are times that are difficult, but they're still there's a chance for them to be positioned for a future that's, if not better, at least one that's helping them to be informed ahead of time so they can help make that difference also. And I, if, I feel like if you're looking at this in a cycle, um, if, you, if you like put all of these films into kind of a, you know, into a cycle, into a circle, and you see education at the, you know, the other end of it, <laughs> yes, that's, you know, inherently from a cycle means it's repetitive, but at the same time, the progress you're seeing there, I think that there's, yeah, I, the positioning of this, I do feel like has an importance uh, that's obviously intended by Steve McQueen, who's put this whole thing together. So I, I, I watched these all week by week. Um, like I had the chance to watch them all in one. I didn't want to do that. I like, I really, really enjoyed getting a chance to have a week to reflect on them in the same way. I enjoy watching various TV shows like that because binging is not always the best answer guys but i um was happy to like wow. conclude with this one um and just yeah. have this this weird sense of relief as far as like yeah there are going to be difficult things going on here but at the same time i i like that there's some kind of hopefulness in this message even if it's still complicated mm-hmm. yeah i do wonder whether or not i made a mistake by kind of giving myself a different viewing experience i did i i binged it maybe over three or four days um, sort of late at night, it's like, oh, well, this one was only 60 minutes, so I could clearly do another one because uh-huh. two 60 minutes, that's the length of one film, so that's good. But I, I wonder what my relationship to Small Axe as a whole might have been, how it might have been different if I had spaced them out. Um, that's kind of, that'd be an interesting interesting experiment, right? And, and, and interest, experiment in like spectatorship would have been kind of an interesting I, thing to I, try it out. I, yeah, that was 
that would be super interesting because I'm I'm I did it kind of like Aaron I well not like Aaron but I I watched four films and then I saved this one for last for some reason because I ran out of time maybe but I saw this one on its own and so maybe maybe there's something to that I mean you know to each well I mean it's like, a, it's, like it's, it, it, it's it's yeah it's gonna be how it is like is but um I I understand I'm not trying to shame anybody for how they watch these movies I'm having a little fun um. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I do. I, I I do think. I mean, regardless of how you watch it, I think there's a benefit from you know the order that's presented it and how it kind of concludes itself here. Um, well, also if you're if you're trusting in the authorship of Steve McQueen, then you ought to watch it in the way that he uh, appears to have laid it out anyway, right? I so I think yeah. I think the bigger sin would be to like watch him out of order. Uh, with that said, we'll kind of wrap up a little bit so we can talk about this as a whole before we then wrap up the show. Uh, but I do uh, to get the performances again. Uh, the the young boy Kenya Sandy as Kingsley Smith. Uh, again, there's just a lot of great talent throughout this series. <laughs> I think he's he's a very good find as far as embodying this boy, who, again, I think is correctly displayed as a child and not just some kind of like prodigy where it's like how could they send this boy off to a different? It's like he's a kid. He does kid things. He acts like he wants to watch show. Uh, what's he want he was watching like monster truck rallies right on tv like he's like you know i just want to be a kid <laughs> have fun um but I, I but i also think the mother charlene white i think she's very good as well because she has somewhat of an arc as far as having a lack of agency as far as what's going on versus realizing the, a choice that she's made that's deliberate that's harmed her child essentially mm-hmm. and how she has to come to terms with that and then move on to you know being a part of a, a you know a movement to change things like i think that's there's a lot there to work with and i think it's very good any other performances stick out or anything about the characters here uh no i think the same same ones uh i i haven't had a chance to look up their names because i'm not familiar with most of the actors um but like everything rang true and even even the smaller characters there's an authenticity i i presume they cast from within the community right so like going back to mangrove the um the chef this uh, uh woman who does the cooking in the mangrove restaurant just fantastic character acting right the 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 kind of glue that holds the the whole series together are these little smaller characters and the 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 various dialects and and use of slang and all that i found um just very absorbing Uh, just just all across all, all five films as far as the cooking, just random shit. Just like when Sean Parks walks in, he's like, "We're gonna do lamb curry, sheep curry, goat curry." That's just fun. <laughs> well, one more thing I wanted to add about um, education, and it, I guess it might be obvious um, that it's a movie that uh, centers around a child, but um, this is one of the this is the only one where we have uh, the the child the the dynamic between the little white boy and a little black child uh-huh. and they're interacting and we can see the, the white child's they're friends. And we can see this kind of like these little sparks of like, that's what his dad says, or that's what, you know, he says a racist, like the kid goes, uh, the, 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 what, what is his name? I forget his name. The, uh, the child in the Kingsley says, I want to be a astronaut. And the white kid goes, they don't let black people be astronauts. And then he he sees that his friend is distraught by that, and he goes, "Oh, don't worry about it. Don't we're friends. Like, don't don't worry about it." But I I feel like that dynamic is grows up to be these separate entities in these other movies. So I thought I thought that I thought I found that pretty fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, right. we're, yeah. we're talking about circles and cycles. Like you can see the events and themes and sort of the what's so distressing and unfair about education cycling right back into mangrove, right? You could just sort of play everything on a loop. I sense that we're wrapping up and yeah. uh, I, wanna, I, I wanted to add one more thing, which is uh, sort of a personal observation. Um, and that has to do with uh, one thing that really screamed out to me that we haven't really touched on is that a very important character in this series is the city of London. Yeah. And like, I know we're talking about themes about racial justice that are universal and the, the application to Black Lives Matter um, beyond any particular national boundaries is very relevant. We've talked about that. But at the same time, you know, one reason I had such a personal and particular experience watching it is because I visit London once a year. Um, I, I wasn't able to in 2020, of course, but it's a city that I have a ton of affection for. And Mangrove takes place in Notting Hill, which is like a 10 minute walk from the area I typically stay in. It's called Bayswater. And in my opinion, the greatest thing you can do in London, or, or maybe put it this way, the greatest disservice you can do for yourself is to walk around London and distract yourself with ear pods, walking around, listening to music or to a podcast or something, um, except for this one, of course. Oh, so, yeah, this is the one <laughs> yeah. you'd watch, you listen to. <laughs> but, but I mean, so, so like if you're in London, just uh, eavesdrop, go on the tube and you turn left, people are speaking uh, Spanish, Russian, Arabic, you turn right and it's Japanese, it's Mandarin, it's Hindi. And you come to realize, this has been my experience, you come to realize this is what true cosmopolitanism is. And it's not, you know, oh, I studied abroad for a semester in Lisbon or whatever, but it, this is what it truly means to live in a community that is woven together by diversity and cultural richness and melding and mixing and merging. And a small, small acts is not by any means a love letter to London. It's about a lot of the ugliness that's systemic in society. But I feel like, you know, as we as we head into 2021, it, I feel like it does offer a glimpse of what cities like London and New York and other places at their very best, what they can do, which is that they can provide an opportunity to share in a sense of community and be better and be better and more committed fighters for causes that don't impact your own small little circle. And I think that's very much in the bloodstream of this series that makes it very timely and important. And that, that was a real takeaway for me. I completely agree. Like it's easy to say that these are a series of five films that are not connected by anything except the themes, but the West Indian character uh, <laughs> is the, the lead character here. I mean, it, it is watching this community, uh, watching it in various forms. Seeing seeing how Steve McQueen has chosen to, you know, put that on display, and yes, like you mentioned, it's not always in the most positive of lights. At the same time, though, there are, you know, to add weight to the problems that are taking place, he does, you know, engage in watching these characters just be in a lot of scenes, and obviously that's President Lover's Rock because that's pretty much the entire film. But with something like Mangrove, you get a long shot of like the characters in the Mangrove that go outside the Mangrove and they're they're dancing in the streets and playing their instruments and what have mm -hmm. you. And it's just it's a lot of just celebration of like, hey, this is our community, this is what we do. Um, or you have you have scenes in Red, White, and Blue when they're not focused on the police, where you just have Leroy Logan in his house with his family like like Christmas time or what have you, and like just having or we already mentioned Alex Weedle and the sense of community with the family there. Or even education, you just get a sense of Kingsley's life at home outside of the school stuff, like. 
it is constantly on display as far as who these characters like what they're a part of and what we can glean from that and on the you know on the most optimistic side you mentioned this early on but like not just like being left alone but just like existing as you are like and being able to have the interactions or what that you want without having any strife to face uh, that 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 seems like a, a relatively simple goal that's just not been achieved to some degree but i'd like to think in the experience that you've shared as far as how you see london um that that can be you know had without there being like additional strife to come with it in various corners of places like london um, yeah i think small acts is it's angry and it's urgent but it's also aspirational in in yes. several key ways right very much so and i mean that <laughs> that's that's it's why it's been frustrating to like to to hear the message of like is this tv or a movie versus what about what happens in each of these films like i, I i've been trying to encourage somebody to like watch these and like actually take them in instead of just deliberating you know what awards they qualify for because there is just something so worthwhile in watching one director and a lot you know obviously his his collaborators just achieve something like this uh, so, you know, I won't see again for a while as far as something that, you know, is not only a, a mix of varying styles to create, you know, one giant piece, but one that feels so reflective of today uh, through its use of the past. It's so relevant. Um, and like without like, it's not as if this is, you know, last year was the year where things finally came to light. Obviously, that's not true. But as far as the, the, the timing of said release, which we've already mentioned before from Mangrove, it's like. How do you get more perfect than having Steve McQueen, uh, acclaimed filmmaker, deliver something that's so like intentional and yet made with such care and such deliberateness? It's uh, I it's just it's it's massively impressive to me that this this thing was accomplished, and it's so good in my eyes. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, lumped it together into a single episode as opposed to you know doing it piecemeal. I, I, mean, I not, talked not about that you would have, but. Abe and I talked about that. I mean, there's a like if we planned it differently, there's a way to you know do a week by week assessment of each episode. But I I also think there is a lot of value in talking about these as a whole because it, you know, yes, these are distinct films as far as how they're made and the stories they're telling. But at the same time, as Steve McQueen says, it's a film. It's one big film. It's like like the Decalogue or what have you, where it's all the pieces separately can be appreciated in their own way, but together they're accomplishing something. Something that's I'm not you know. I'm not seeing that much of by comparison. And I, I think that's, there's, there's an importance there. Uh, and it's not like this film, none of this feels like homework to me watching these films. I very much enjoyed the experience of watching each of these films, you know, at my own pace without feeling like I'm doing this just because I want to like be in on it. Like it just, they're just really well made. Marcus, any final thoughts here? I know Mike and I've been talking a little bit, but uh... no, oh, no, I've been just taking it all in. You guys have captured uh, everything I kind of wanted to say. Uh, I kind of want to go to London now, so um, <laughs> and get like the full, <laughs> full circle experience. Um, I mean, what can I say? Stephen McQueen's a great director. Like <laughs> these are, I don't know, I don't know why more people aren't seeing it. I guess. Um, maybe it is a, they, they believe it's a lot to ask for five films, a year, five films. And the first one they start it and they see that the time is almost what an hour and a half, two hours. And they're like, no, forget this. I, I don't, I don't know what, why somebody would do that, but, um, I think we had been on a, we had been on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and you're like, why is everybody so up on widows? And then they don't want to see Steve McQueen do five movies 
movies. Yeah. I didn't get it. And I, I'm with you. I'm like, why don't you like you have a this prolific director who you trust as far as his movies are concerned. And he put out five movies in one year and you're, uh, well, maybe I'll get to it when I get to it. I, I, I do not understand that. Um, but I, I, I'm really, uh, I, I did not see these at first as one singular kind of piece. Now talking about it and hearing you guys talk about it, I, I would consider it one, one piece. Yeah. What, do you, what do you guys think about, um, you know, where this stands in the kind of 2020-ness of it all? Not not in terms of the pandemic or Black Lives Matter, but just, you know, was this a good year in cinema? That's delving into yeah. next week's episode a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, will, I, I, I will just say that I found myself overflowing with a lot of good options to choose from. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't... I... I don't I don't get the the argument of since it's not in the theaters, it's not worthy of being praised or something, whatever. I don't know what the what it is, but um, I, I saw plenty of great movies that I was plenty entertained by. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't asking so much about like the question of format, right? Theater okay. versus computer, but definitely and. You know, this is not a segment that uh, Aaron is devoting this time, but, you know, a, a lot of times at this point we talk about recommendations and endorsements and things. And mm-hmm. I just feel like mainly because so many of the mainstream films got sidelined, um, mm-hmm. that cleared a lot of space for indie films this this past year. And, and I actually I don't know if that's correct, if the ratio of independent no, films was higher than any normal year, but it, it's, felt it like is. It. It's, it's correct by default because, yes, I mean, there are a lot yeah. of like smaller things that what. Again, yeah, this is there's more discussion to have next week. I, I will just say that the in terms of the 2020 ness of it all is what as far as what your your question's asking, um, I think the it's a it's a it comes in twofold. On the one hand, I think this is a very strong year for black filmmakers and and POC like filmmakers like and films that like are dealing with relevant themes or what have you that you know get into this kind of issues, um, along with a lot of uh, female filmmakers uh, and making films that are very uh, gender focused Mm -hmm. uh i I think there it's been a it's been a very strong year for more of this kind of content to come along but on the other hand the nature the nature of streaming makes it nearly impossible for that conversation to sustain itself for longer than two weeks which i think is also a shame um and there's more to get into that when we talk about our top 10 stuff but i mean i think that i i'll be curious where this coming year goes as far as whether or not things get back into a certain kind of form um given that there's still many more i mean it's not like you have all these films last year and suddenly like the themes just stop that just means the gates are being opened more for more interesting filmmakers or filmmakers that have more on their mind to really get out Mm -hmm. and tell their message uh but we're still in a place where theaters are not entirely open so i'll be curious to see what that evolution is Uh, yeah yeah i i also i don't want to step on what you have planned for next week but since you know aaron you and i were talking about this we were texting about this uh it was also just a great year what a great year it was for documentaries yeah um mm-hmm. dick johnson voice state painter and the thief collective i mean I, listen i don't mean to in any in any way suggest that what a good year it was in cinema is an acceptable upside to all the misery people have been facing throughout this catastrophically painful year. And I hope nobody infers that from what I'm saying, but sure. that being said, when it comes to, you know, the, the kind of vibrancy of what we do, uh, which is, you know, watch cinema, 
I felt my movie brain and my movie heart felt very full and nourished this year. And Small Axe uh, did play an outsized role in, in that, I think. I felt that the, also just to add to that, I felt like the access to people who would not normally see uh, an independent feature or a movie, uh, a series like Small Axe, um, they're at home and they're going to actually at least start it. Um, so I think that's, I guess, a good thing as far as like c- cinema, but as far as like going to a theater and whatever, I wouldn't, you know, whatever. I have plenty of friends that don't even go to movie theaters. So. Well, yeah, people certainly have fewer excuses to uh, avoid yeah. things like small acts and things like that because they can just do it at home. Right. I mean, with that in mind, I feel like in terms of saying when people should go see this, I think we're unanimous in, in saying just watch small acts like right yeah. now. It's on it's on Prime and it's free and you're at home. Like, it's not a yeah. hard thing to do. Um, so I'll leave it there with that. And with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up the show. I know I've been going long. Um, so, I mean, I very much appreciate the discussion. I hope you guys have too. Um, with that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode. You can find all my work at thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also at Wise the Blue, where my top 10 list of the year is currently posted. I'll have more to say about that next week. I'm on We Live Entertainment, where I have my top 20 movie moments of the year posted there. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Marcus Robinson, where can people find more of you? Uh, on Twitter, moviesmarcus, um, and, uh, moviesmarcus.com. Um, on, I'm, I'm on Instagram at moviesmarcus1, um, and I will interact with you. If you DM me, <laughs> I will interact with you, um, whether to talk politics or whatever, you know. Just don't you make it start, too long should, or whatever. You should just start a cameo page at this point, Marcus. Yeah, you know, I will uh, say happy birthday if to any of your relatives, whatever. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, Mike Dillon, you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no, uh, I, I, I will not wish your relatives happy birthday, but I will put a curse on your enemies uh, for a nominal <laughs> price. Happy to do that. No, I, I'm, I'm not really available online, but I'll just say happy new year to all of your listeners and uh, happy birthday to Brenda. All right. Well, all the other episodes about now with our name can be found on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnotpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Small Axe if you watched it or anything else we discussed about today. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash outnotpodcast, twitter.com slash outnotpodcast, and instagram.com slash outnotpodcast. Uh, thank you, Mike and Marcus, for joining me this week to discuss Small Axe. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to have had this discussion, and I look forward to future ones. But until next week, we do our top ten episode. That's going to do it. So until then, so long and goodbye.